Let us continue, my dear beloved. Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee to meet me there. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Ouch. So, <laughs> church in the basement, it's a different concept and it involves tight quarters, I can promise you. So we've reached the last of this series of messages that I've been calling Seven Things Every Christian Ought to Know. And the idea is not that you're deficient somehow as a Christian because you can't answer these questions. It's just a matter of being able to recognize that these are some basic things that non-Christians want to know about Christians and what they believe, and it's things that we as Christians will be better off if we can grasp and express adequately. So in this question for today, the last in the series, the question is, is there hope? Now some people are going to view that question in a very simplistic way and say, well, of course there's hope. Jesus rose from the grave and therefore I can count on rising from the grave as well, and certainly you can. But when we look at what's going on in our economy, looking at what's going on in our, our world due to a, a, a virus, when we wonder about the things that used to perplex us before coronavirus was the only thing we talked about it, uh, talked about, then we are obviously feeling a little bit concerned about whether the world is, in fact, making any sense. And this is why we need to talk about this. We need to say why we have hope. And the hope is really not about an escape plan. See, I think way too many Christians talk about it as though it's an escape plan. Well, it doesn't matter what happens. I'll be in heaven when I die, and then you guys will have to deal with my estate and all of my problems. It doesn't matter if this disease gets me, I'll die and go to heaven. I mean, that's great. That's comforting in a way. But is that all there is? What does the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ really mean to you if it doesn't mean anything in life? If it only means something to you as an after effect of life? When Jesus appeared to his apostles, they were overjoyed, and yet they must have been wondering, uh-oh, now what? Following him has already been a very difficult and challenging thing because he says and does things that don't make sense according to our sensibilities. And we've trusted him and believed in him and loved him for it. And now he's alive. And that proves that everything he's ever said about him is, himself is true. 
This validates everything he's ever said about himself, about the Heavenly Father, about uh, the heavenly realm, about the Holy Spirit, and of course about himself. And if it's valid and true, then what he expects of us now, we are probably not worthy of, or we're just frightened of it. So naturally, they must have been excited and terrified all at the same time. Now, when you think about how they wrapped their minds around what they experienced when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. I think that it must have been immediately clear to them that there could be hope of life after death. Now, in the Jewish mind, and especially in those days, there was always a belief in a resurrection, except, of course, for the Sadducees. And that's why they were sad, you see. Sorry for the joke, but... They didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead, so they thought life on earth was all there was. And the Sadducees were kind of a, a, a messed up bunch that worked for the Roman government to maintain the church uh, or the temple, actually. So you can kind of take that for what it's worth. But, but the Jewish mind believed in a resurrection, but they didn't really believe uh, that they understood what that meant or anything. You know, so basically dead was dead. And now they could wrap their minds around the fact that death wasn't the end because there was Jesus in front of them, clearly not dead anymore. And so now they could have their belief in the resurrection confirmed through Jesus, who was clearly different and still the same, which validated their belief in the resurrection. But, but what else did it mean to them? And what else does it mean to us? Because if you believe that you're going to go to heaven when you die, like that other thief on the cross who confessed Christ and was predicted to join Christ in, by Jesus to join him in paradise when they die. Now, now, so we can look forward to paradise with Jesus when we die, and we look forward to the resurrection when Jesus brings all of us back. Now, that is good news, and that certainly gives us a way to be hopeful in light of the fact that eventually all of us are going to die unless Christ comes first. And that gives us a certain level of hope, but it doesn't seem to change the way a lot of people live their lives. There are a lot of people who claim that hope, but it doesn't seem to change the way they live. It doesn't seem to affect them that much. And I have to wonder why that is. And perhaps it's because getting your mind wrapped around the fact that there's more going on than just proof that there's life after death. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean? Here's something I want to say, and I'm going to say it twice because you might want to write this one down. Jesus's death makes him our Savior. Jesus's resurrection makes him our Lord. Jesus's death makes him our Savior. Jesus's resurrection makes him our Lord. Now, what I mean by that is, is that the, the Lord is, uh, Jesus is our Savior because his redeeming death has paid the penalty for our crimes against God, for our sin against God. And so we are justified to go into the presence of God because of Jesus and nothing else. But his resurrection demands our loyalty. It means he's alive and it means that he is the ruler of all who are his own. And it means that we must give him more than a casual affirmation. That we must obey him and follow his leadership. We must act as though he is present or will be at any moment. So that we are his subjects. 
and he is our king. The Lord Jesus is coming again, and the scripture tells us that there will be a judgment that he will preside over, which will be his sort of evaluation of our lives. It'll be his, his uh, check-in with us about how well we've lived according to his expectations. I'd hate for him to find any of us say, I wouldn't want him to find any of us and say, you know, I want to thank you for putting your faith in me. And for that reason, you can be assured that you'll spend eternity with me in the, in the Father's presence. But I wish you'd have done a little bit more than that. I wish your faith would have changed the way you live your life. I wish your faith would have changed your priorities. Because if your priorities had shifted, you may have been more involved in my will on earth and more engaged in my process of bringing all into the Father's grace. That's discipleship. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to live as, he, as, if, as if he is your Lord. And what does Lord mean? It, it means he's the leader of your life. It means by his own divine energy, he raised himself from death. And it is that same divine being who demands our loyalty. And if he is our Lord, then he is the leader of our lives. Christ's resurrection leaves us with no other result. We must obey him. We're obliged to obey him. Like the apostles, though, we have to be made over. Uh, I talked about in the Bible study a little while ago, they were perplexed, to say the least, when they encountered Jesus in the upper room and, and he said, you know, look at me, it's really me, give me something to eat. And then he opened their minds. And another gospel says that they, he breathed the Spirit on them. I don't think this is the same indwelling of the Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost, even to them. But rather, but the expression of the Holy Spirit from Jesus to them was uh, a way of making them understand what they were not able to understand. And so in the same way, our faith opens our minds to receive the Holy Spirit's infusion of understanding. A moment ago, David said that at first he didn't know what to think about it, but then eventually it made sense to him because as his faith grew, things began to make more sense to him. And this is exactly how it is with all of us. Even Jesus did it with his apostles. They didn't really grasp that there was a deeper meaning to all of this until he opened their minds and the Holy Spirit brought them insight. And so we pray for the same thing as we live our lives. We must be willing to do more than just claim to be Christ's followers. We must be willing to do more than acknowledge him as our Savior and their key to heaven. We must be willing to live as though he dwells in us, that his Holy Spirit has given us new birth and new life. And this will be a sign that the resurrected Jesus has brought resurrection to our souls and that our souls are already in spirit form awaiting unification with our spirit body after our resurrection. But rest assured, he is a gentle Lord. He is a kind and loving and gracious Lord. And so when we consider Jesus's compassion, I've got to put my note where I can see it. When we consider Jesus's compassionate response to his apostles, we can see that he's a very gentle and loving and forgiving and patient and so much so that he 
gives the salvation we seek unconditionally. To put it another way, our repentance of sin and our exception, uh, accepting of Christ as Savior, our repentance of sin and our accepting of Christ as Savior are inconsequential when it comes to our salvation. Uh, what that means is, is that he didn't do anything to save us. We're accepting it, which is his act, not our own. We accept that we are sinners and we repent of it, and then we accept his gift, and all of that is initiated by Christ. All of that is initiated by Christ. We didn't do anything. We got it because we accepted it. When we stopped standing in the way of God's grace, God's grace came completely to us. But when it comes to his lordship over our lives, then we do have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to act as though we're born again. We have a responsibility to let our lives be a testimony to him so that others might have the barriers between them and his grace broken down through what they witness and hear in us. The Apostle Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 1, he said, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, you are working toward your inheritance. You are already made over spiritually when you're born again. And it is a matter of conquering your flesh so that your flesh and your spirit work together to give glory to God in the way that you live your life. And in so doing, you bring about his will on earth. That's what we're trying to be. Our lives are a poor testimony to Christ if all we're doing is paying the premium on our get out of hell insurance. Can I be that blunt with you? If you're showing up for church every Sunday, even online, if you're giving to church every week, even online, that's great. Those are wonderful indications of faith. But for some people, they can be simply an indication that they're keeping up the premiums on their get out of hell insurance. Let this Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, lead you into a season like never before in your life where you have given everything you have to his leadership of your life as your king. So that not only are you assured of paradise when you die and resurrection when he calls you, but you are a living witness, a living testimony, a disciple of Jesus Christ. COVID-19 has gripped our world and caused a previously unimaginable change. Now, I want to ask you something. If a little bitty virus you can't see with the naked eye can grip the world so that the world is changing some ways, I'm sure, forever, then why is the message of Christ after over 2,000 years still struggling to grip the world with the same force? It's not your responsibility. It's not mine. Don't take it that way. The question is, is, why does it take so much to get some people's attention? Some who call themselves Christians, countless millions who don't have, have no interest in Jesus or the things that Christians believe. 
Why is this message not transforming the world overnight like a virus did? Let us pray that we would be infectious Christians, that we would be as contagious with our Christianity as we might be with COVID-19. You don't have to wear a mask. You can give people the sickness we have, this eternal life granted by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You can, you can, can, you can uh, infect anybody you want. And you do it by living as though he's in charge of your life. You can give this bug away and it will be something that changes people's lives more dramatically than a virus. And it will have a lasting, even eternal effect on their lives. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you for your word and I give you all the glory. And I praise you for your incredible grace that has redeemed us through the death of Christ. I praise you for his lordship over our lives, which is proven through his resurrection by his own force from death. I look forward, Lord, to being in the resurrected presence of my Lord Jesus Christ, and I know everyone else that prays with me does. Lord, please cause all of us to be your witnesses, to give glory to your name in the way that we live as obedient servants to our Lord King Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.